Now I'm the reason why you broke up with him and got back together Thought I was sunshine, but baby I'm bad weather I'm off the Doppler in the five day forecast By the time they hear me I've already pushed the shore back No, no, I wasn't always like this Skies cleared soon as my daylight lit Sidewalks dried up, no snow emergency I could take you February and turn it into spring I get gone, I get gone, and I don't need anyone to know better. Put your faith to the down. Hey, everybody, welcome to an episode of Weather Hype. Um, I'm joined today by Castle, our co host for the podcast, and we thought we'd take an opportunity to talk about Hurricane Laura because, A, we haven't really recorded an episode in a while because of a lot of things COVID related, not COVID related, and us just being really busy, but. We thought we'd take the time today to really talk about the storm because of just the the really important things leading up to it, the impacts of the storm and the conversations surrounding the storm after it made landfall. Yes, and I think there are a lot of great communication things for us to discuss as well. Um, so I'm very excited to get started and talk about it. The storm made landfall late last night, um, you know, on the southwestern Louisiana coastline with 150 mile an hour sustained wind so a high level category four storm and just seeing we all knew that it would be really bad i think there was a concern for rapid intensification mm-hmm. prior to it making landfall people had discussed it um you know i've seen some of the like folks kind of stitching together all those forecasts her uh, hurricane cones from the hurricane center and showing yeah four or five days out four days out three days out and i mean it's pretty consistent it had always kind of shown that it would kind of go into the Gulf and kind of impact that location. So um, that piece of it, I think, is a is definitely a win in terms of the forecasting and the science and, and how well the Hurricane Center did in, in kind of anticipating where it would go. No, I agree. And you, you could see lots of tweets of people, like you mentioned, have kind of stitched those all together. And you can see probably like at least four days out, they've been very consistent about it hitting somewhere between the border of Texas and Louisiana. Um, and it's interesting because we talk a lot about how consistent the forecast is, but often, I don't know if we ever ask kind of the flip side of like, how do people interpret it? Right. We, mm-hmm. we saw that it's, it to us, it's like very consistent. It's very, uh, they continue to show, uh, the, in, the uncertainty in such a great way, um, because they're able to line up that track pretty darn good. But at the same time, like, how do people on the ground view it? How are people in their homes trying to make de- evacuation decisions? Are they viewing it the same way? Um, yeah. So I think that it's interesting because it, this is the first time I'm even asking that question because oftentimes we just see like how great it looks from like our perspective and our kind of our weather Twitter perch. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't know if we always ask the user how it seems to them. Yeah, it's interesting because I've talked to people just in offhand conversations in my personal life and professional life. And, you know, I had a coworker the other day ask or mention to me and say, you know, that this storm was supposed to like hit the East Coast or something. So all of a sudden it shifted and it, it's going to now hit Louisiana as like a potentially category five. Like, where did that come from? And to hear that, I was like, oh, that's interesting because that's not what was actually communicated at all. And I'm like, okay, are they conflating like, tropical storm marco are they like what are they thinking in their head are they are they thinking about a previous storm this season i don't know but you know when you look objectively at the forecast models in the cone it never showed that and always showed relatively where it did end up making landfall um i've talked to other people in um that have family in houston 
And so they are like, oh, yeah, like, I don't know. I, we're supposed to get some pretty bad, like, you know, storm damage and all that kind of stuff. And my mom, I even talked to her yesterday. She was like, it's going to hit Houston and Galveston, right? And I was like, no, like the impacts aren't going to be that bad for them. I think at one point a few days ago, we were thinking, okay, they, they could get yeah. more impacts if the storm trended more westward. But for the most part, um, Houston didn't really see much at all. And so that's a good thing, obviously, for a major metropolitan area to, to you know, pretty much be unscathed. But yeah, you bring up a great point. I don't know how people interpret information with, with, with regard to the storm specifically, but it is interesting that even though the forecast was pretty consistent, I'm seeing a wide array of different perspectives that seem to indicate that it wasn't well communicated. I don't know if that's necessarily our fault as weather communicators or just people and having a lot of things they're dealing with and kind of, you know, not really paying attention fully to what they're looking at because, you know, the one thing I think is that's interesting is leading up to the storm, there wasn't really much conversation around it on the news. Like I, I watched the, the evening news on like CBS and you know, watch some network shows and they really just don't talk about this kind of stuff until it's like a day out from making landfall. Then after the landfall, then they send their crews there. You see all the damage. They talk about it, interview people who are impacted, but it never seems like they really focus on the storm before it makes landfall that much, which is kind of frustrating or they don't dedicate a lot of time to it. Yeah. So maybe the disconnect is something that we can work on as a community and maybe it's more partner engagement oriented where we need to make sure that our kind of our partners like TV folks, the like broadcast meteorologists, emergency managers, other like maybe newspapers or like other outlets that I'm not kind of thinking about um, more broadly, um, making sure that we're connecting with them on our forecast mm-hmm. and the message that we're trying to send yeah. so that they can am- amplify that. Um, so it, it could be, it, I think it's, it, you bring up an interesting point. It's, it's like, we are, we can only do so much like as a weather enterprise of cu- communicating a consistent message, like at a certain point it becomes, I don't want to say our job, but it becomes important to focus on the next step, which is like, how are people getting that message and finding ways to make sure that when we amplify it, it's continuing to be as consistent, consistent as possible. Yeah. And it's good too that you bring that up because it's important to recognize that we ourselves as a weather enterprise don't have all the power in terms of communicating. We have to rely on our friends and our partners in the media. And the statement I made earlier really applies more towards like the the national outlets, not necessarily the local news outlets, because I'm sure the, the folks in Texas and Louisiana and Mississippi, because they were in the path of the storm. So, but when it comes to when you're, you know, just an average person watching the news in the evenings, whatever channel you watch, and you see like literally 20 seconds dedicated to a category four hurricane, it's kind of like, oh, you know, and there's just so much going on in the country, COVID, elections, all that kind of stuff. And it's like, well, you know, this is, this would normally, I feel like be a pretty big deal, but we just have other competing stories. And it's like, all right, what do you prioritize? How much time do you spend on this? And I think there was some research or maybe unofficial research maybe last year or a few years ago where it looked at the amount of time dedicated to weather related stories on like a, na- a normal cable network uh, newscast. And it was so low, like one of the least, mm. yeah, very quick pieces. Yeah. And um, quick, I think research has shown segments. that people actually crave and want weather information in their newscasts. And the local news definitely can provide that, I feel like, but not 
not the national yeah. news. I don't know that they focus on that really too much. So until again, after the storm is about to hit or as it's hitting and they send the reporters out and they get battered by the wind. <laughs> so I want to kind of take a step back and go a little bit to last week when we had both Marco and Laura mm-hmm. kind of being um, a simultaneous concern. Um, Cause that's where I saw it getting the most, uh, I want to say like news coverage was, and I know I'm going to butcher this, like the Fujihara effect. I don't know if that's how you pr- pronounce it, yeah. but, but where, um, the hurricanes kind of dance with one yeah. another. And a lot of people were concerned that there was going to be a super hurricane or something considering all the, uh, upheaval that 2020 has brought. Um, <sighs> yeah, but so that in my mind was a good indicator that we were already getting mm-hmm. some form of coverage even though it wasn't the best kind of risk communication coverage, um, it was starting to get on people's radars, you know, in a sense, because of that uh, conversation. Uh, But still, like I, there's this person I follow on Instagram who is all about bargains and getting a good deal. And he lives in Texas and uh, he had like followers like messaging him on Instagram saying like, are you okay? Are you going to evacuate? Like all this stuff. And he, he got on his stories this morning and was like, I don't know what everyone's talking about. Like, is there a hurricane? Like, what's going on? Um, he was like, I don't watch the news. Where's he and live? he lives in Fort Worth, but um, it, oh. it's not like a super prominent concern for him right now. Just his followers were like reaching oh, yeah. out because I'm sure they just heard Texas a lot. Um, but, and that, but he said he's so exhausted from news coverage and from hearing things and fatigued by that kind of world that he's just stopped. He's just cut himself off. Um, and I think that that is potentially kind of a concern that could be, uh, part of this whole hurricane as well as we've had COVID, we've had kind of racial tension. There's all kinds of, uh, terrible things and the elections are coming up like good goodness gracious like mm-hmm. uh there's uh, so much going on that people may start to feel this way of kind of needing that disconnect and that could be part of the yeah. reason for this lack of information flow between all these different sources i think it's like in those ways that people need to take a step back from watching the news or whatever i think that's very important I think in a situation, if you were impacted by a hurricane or something, um, or potentially uh, something like a natural disaster, then not only would you know your Instagram friends maybe reach out to you, but maybe your fam- uh, family and right. friends too. So in that way, hopefully that would be the source of, of primary information at first, and then they can turn on the news and just switch back into that world if they need to, just to make sure that they have a firm understanding what's going on. Um, but I mean, the fatigue is totally real. Oh, yeah. Um, and kind of to touch up on a point that you brought up earlier that the headlines and the news really focus on the Fujiwara effect. Is that I how you, I don't is know that how, you that's how you pronounce okay. it either. I want to say, but I'm I probably butchering it too. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, but because uh, the, they were focusing on like the combination of a super hurricane and all that right. kind of stuff, um, it just it just goes to show, yes, we all get it. 2020 has been a rough year. And I know that the headline writers and the people that are putting these articles together want to play off of this idea of, oh, crap, you know, 2020, like, what's coming next? Like, murder hornet, <laughs> you know, at one point, then it was like, blah, blah, blah. And then 
you know, they're using that hype around how crappy 2020 is to really sell these articles. Yeah. And then when they realize how dumb it is, then they kind of like retreat and they don't really talk about the storms at all anymore. It's kind of like, oh, who cares? You know, like it's not a big deal. So that's like the frustrating piece that it initially got pressed because of this like seemingly like crazy event of potentially two hurricanes in the Gulf of Mexico. And then after that kind of went away and Marco wasn't really too impactful. Then they're like, oh, we're not going to really talk about Laura that much until, you know, it becomes like a really major storm. And it's about to finally hit, you know, hit the land and everything. But it just goes to show people are really working off of that. And the same thing I'm seeing it now, too, of there's like uh, the National Hurricane Center maps are indicating two tropical waves that may have they have a low chance of forming in the next, you know, two to four days mm-hmm. or something like that. And people are like, oh, crap, like we just got a hurricane. 2020 is bringing us more crap. Like, come on, there's two more storms. And I'm like. I mean, people know that when they post that kind of stuff there, it's kind of a humor right. piece and also a, oh my God, like seriously, 2020 kind of thing. Um, but yeah, those kind of posts, those kind of articles really get people's uh, attention because they're like, oh, sh-, you know, an already crappy year is getting even worse. And they're playing off of that, um, that sentiment that a lot of people are feeling. So I guess you could use that to your advantage and also it could be a bad thing. I just wish that people would really focus on the storm, the impacts, all that kind of stuff, instead of um, only using the dramatic pieces of it to get people's attention. And then they kind of fade away with the coverage until after it makes landfall. Yeah, I, I'm going to take take this as kind of a positive that because there was the chance of it to have that weird effect, that it started putting it on people's radars like four and five days ahead of time. Um, so Mm -hmm. we'll have to wait and see like, uh, how things actually turn out in terms of like how people evacuated and decisions and that kind of stuff to better understand like how impactful was that headline and did it cause, uh, was it beneficial, I guess, in any way to save life and property? Yeah. And leading into the storm, you know, about to make landfall, you know, a day or two out, um, one of our friends on Twitter shared some, I think they're experimental National Weather Service graphics, right? I, I don't know, um, I don't know if they're experimental. It's hard to tell from the tweet. I'm not sure. Um, did it say experimental? We'll have to ask Corey afterwards. No, it doesn't, but it also isn't. It also doesn't have the NOAA National Weather Service or Hurricane Center logo yeah. on it. But these are similar graphics okay. to what I've seen the graphics team at National Weather Service doing um, before. But normally they have the logos and, and the official you know moniker on them so i'm not i don't see that on these graphics so i'm assuming that maybe they're just experimental i should probably reach out to them and ask and we can link you all to it um but i was kind of curious what you thought about mm-hmm. them because they look clean they look Gosh. good but i wonder if they could have used a little bit more of a uh uh, any kind of other uh, pieces to make them more effective? Uh, yeah. So I was really excited to see these because of like their modern look. I feel like they're super clean, like you mentioned. Um, the thing that I'm still grappling with, and I don't know how best to articulate how I'm feeling. It's kind of a struggle, but I feel like the design is there. I'm still struggling to understand if they're correctly conveying the information or the message that they want people to walk away with. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, um, because I feel like they're the, the idea, the perspective of them, the way that it's kind of designed. I feel like the legend is very clear. The headline is very clear. Um, but to me, it's like almost as if 
they have taken this really cool modern design and have overlaid the kind of legacy products on them. Um, so I'm yeah. still trying to decide if this is beneficial or helpful or not. The piece of it too, and again, I, I apologize to the listeners who can't really visualize this with us right now, um, but I think it would have benefited to have the city names because when you look at the coastline, you're like, okay, what am I looking at? Or what cities am I looking at? What states I'm looking at? I, I wish that yes. people knew more when they looked at a map, but a lot of people are not able to correctly what identify state? uh, states in the United States. So, yeah. uh, But I think having cities on there would have been uh, helpful, like Houston, Lake Charles, Port Arthur, Beaumont, you know, all those kind of areas to, to really know where they're located. I know this graphic is really, you know, it's sleek and snazzy for sure, but I don't know that it's really meant to be as operational as, you know, a less pretty looking official like hurricane center graphic or something uh so here's a question can do you have them pulled up i do yeah um what is the little icon next to the the legend header interesting right yeah I yeah the same thing i think that's supposed to be an icon for um okay i don't really know anymore now that i'm really looking Me closely either. at it i was like is it making mm-hmm. a letter in the negative space that's but a good question so. i'm not really sure what that's supposed to be because it's in all of them. So Next I to the word forecast like um, Yeah. Some, yeah. At first I thought it was supposed to be like the shape of the wind field for the storm. But then I was like, wait, that doesn't really make sense. Why it keeps happening. Huh. Good question. We'll, we'll ask that. No, yeah. Yeah. Something, something we can follow up with. But yeah, th- I think I was really excited to see them because I think like the base design of it is so cool and sleek mm-hmm. and clean and modern. But then I'm still kind of fiddling with and trying to like figure out like what is really uh, my gut reaction to the information mm-hmm. and how that's being conveyed. Um, that's still up in the air for me. But I think it's a great start for something that no, absolutely uh, for sure could be better. And when I'm like looking at some of the other products too, um, another tweet that we wanted to kind of to discuss was. Uh, there was a peak storm surge forecast graphic, and it shows the coastline of Texas, Louisiana, and Mississippi, um, outlines some of the uh, communities mm-hmm. and lakes around the area, the bodies of water, um, and other points of interest. And then it also highlights, like, this is what the peak storm surge is expected in this part of, you know, the state, that part of the state, that part of the coastline. Um, interesting. And I think the other interesting point is the use of the word unsurvivable to describe the storm surge. So kind of want to see what your thoughts are on that. Yeah. So this is an interesting tweet and this is the one that I sent to Mm -hmm. you yesterday. Um, and I was like, we should definitely talk about this. Um, I think for me, I have three things that, that, that are comments or things that I'm thinking about when I'm seeing this tweet. Um, the word unsurvivable, I think is obviously the first thing that we should talk about because to my knowledge, I've never seen that used in any kind of messaging for any kind of hazard um, that relates to weather. Um, And to me, unsurvivable conveys a a message that it's not worth doing anything Mm -hmm. because you're not going to live anyway. So what's the point in evacuating or preparing or doing any type of protective action in order to try and save yourself if it's like, a moot point. 
And it's interesting because that's the opposite of what they're trying to convey by using the word unsurvivable. They want people to get out of the area that would have that unsurvivable storm surge. Right. And so when you're saying that and it's kind of um, bringing up these feelings, like you said, I, that's kind of what I was thinking, too, of like, OK, well, if it's unsurvivable, then should I even do anything? But in just using that word and looking at it out of context, I think it could feel that way. But if you see the whole message of if you're in this area, it would be unsurvivable. So like get out, like leave that area. Is that do you think that's not as communicated when they use that word? To me, it's not. And I'll tell you another reason why. I also think the use of it as the first word that you see, it it creates a lack of uh, I don't know how to convey this. It doesn't feel as important because it's first. It's almost like storm surge that will have uh, that will be unsurvivable or something would be more powerful or more impactful. I feel as though the use of it as an adjective to describe storm surge here in this particular tweet, it takes away from the action orientedness that I take from it. Interesting. Does that make sense? It, I, I understand your perspective. I wonder if that is a perspective that would be shared by other people yeah, as well. I, I, totally, I totally get what you're saying, for sure. Um, I think just syntactically, from a just grammar English standpoint, I think that way that they used it was probably the most effective and the less like you know wordy that they could have used because they could have said storm surge that would be unsurvivable or unsurvivable storm surge, right? Like yeah. that cuts down on the character tweet and everything like that. It does. Yeah. Um, it's very strong use of the word uh, unsurvivable or just use of any word to describe storm surge for sure. Um, but it's it's very... Uh, oh, sorry. I just got a, the message back from Corey. Oh, sweet. Um, nothing really official as far as products, but I did use a layout for a couple of social media posts. Um, okay. Hmm. Good to know. So he did use it for other social media uh, graphics for the National Weather Service. Cool. All right. Um, and I will, coming back to the unsurvivable thing, the, the third thing that I kind of thought of or co- wanted to comment on in terms of this tweet is when you look at any type of risk communication where you want someone to take action, um, a lot of times we use fear appeals, which is what this is, which is basically like scaring someone into doing something about the risk. So when we say it's unsurvivable, we're kind of inducing that fear. We're creating that fear um, and the way that you make that fear go away is to, to provide them with steps on how to protect themselves in order to make that fear go away. If you don't do that, then oftentimes people just shut down because they don't have a way to get rid of that internal fear. And we see that a lot in like the risk calm theory. If you're curious more about it, look up um, the extended parallel process model. I'll just stop there. But um, so another issue that I have with this and one of my colleagues pointed this out to me um, and I definitely agree with her is that when you induce this fear and you don't really provide steps on how to get rid of it, it kind of, again, goes back to that idea of, well, what's the point? I'm just going to shut down um, because there's I, I don't really have sufficient information on how to do that. So Mm -hmm. the tweet does say, if you need to evacuate, do so now. But if you don't know how to evacuate or what steps you need to do in order to evacuate or where you should go, or there are all these questions that come up 
that is important, I think, in order to provide what they call self-efficacy information in order to make sure that you feel empowered to take the action that we're recommending. So I have a response to that. I, I agree with what you're saying completely. Yes. And I have that, a feeling I know what you're going to say, and I have a response okay. to Oh, it. interesting. Okay, okay. Um, so as like an official National Weather Service, you know, they're an agency that, you know, puts out good information. I think their role, yes, it is publicly uh, available. People, anybody can look at that tweet and see it. But I think that messaging is really intended for the communicators like the media, mm. uh, local officials to use that information and then to follow up with additional information like how this is how you would evacuate, this is how you would do this and that and really add on to what they're saying because the National Weather Service, I don't know that they would necessarily be in the business of putting out all that kind of information like, oh, you know, like this is how you do this, this is how you do that. I think it's more of they're showing or, you know, communicating what how bad it would be and then it's a multi-tiered communication process where they provide part of it but then your local emergency management agency or your local media or your local meteorologists can continue with that messaging and really hone in on more specific actions that would be better tailored to the public because again like i don't know that everybody's following the national Weather service on twitter you know obviously i don't think they are and not a lot of people use twitter to begin with when you're looking at just mm -hmm. a general populace so i think their role in that tweet is to put that information out there their partners can see that and their partners can use that you'll see this probably quoted in news articles online and then you'll see that people can take that tweet and then build off onto that kind of thing does that make sense it does. And it's not exactly what I thought you were going to say, but I think it kindly kind of gets to it. What I thought you were going to say is there's not enough characters in a tweet in order to provide additional steps oh. on what to do. Um, so I was going to say, well, no. Um, but I think that is kind of the problem that m my colleague and I kind of went over. Like, yes, we understand there's a character limit. You can only do so much in order to provide information. But we were thinking... You could use a graphic in order to provide more information. You could use, do a follow-up tweet or like a, a tweet an hour later. So if when we go into kind of talking about the other tweets, they continue throughout the day to do like these unsurvivable tweets. Um, and it would be, in my opinion, great if they would alternate with like, here's what you do, like here's what to do in an evacuation, X, Y, Z. Um, gotcha. Or here's how you prepare, because in the next tweet, they just say the storm surge will be unsurvivable. Prepare now. That's all they say is prepare now. What do you what do I need to do to prepare? What things should I pre be mm -hmm. preparing? Like all that kind of stuff is very powerful when it comes to encouraging someone to take protective action. Um, but sure. I totally get what you're saying. Um, and it's not just this tweet in particular. I think when you look across kind of NWS more broadly in kind of their hazard messages, um, they're really starting to create more self-efficacy and more protective action related messages. But for the most part, they stick to these fear appeal kind of tactics. Um, mm -hmm. So it's important that they uh, continue to push this bound of risk communication in order to attach the self-efficacy information to the fear appeals. Otherwise, According to the EPPM or the extended parallel process model, people won't just kind of shut down. Um, sure. 
And this has been shown time and time again in the RISCOM literature. So I think it's really important that we continue to take steps toward incorporating self-efficacy and protective action information into tweets, but also into other messages. And for that matter, those individuals that you mentioned, the other partners, the other media partners, the other people that are engaging emergency Mm -hmm. managers, they of course, should add protective actions and self-efficacy information. Um, And I don't know, this is me, like, I don't know if they know to provide that information or that it's relevant or that it's kind of empowering for taking those protective actions. I don't know if we've, as kind of a research community, have made connections that have kind of instilled the power of these particular parts of a message that we need to convey to our audience in, in order to Uh, put them in the best place in order to make a decision that's right for them. Um, Mm -hmm. So I think these are all great questions, but I, I I can see your point. I can see your point. Yeah. No, I see your point too. I think that's the magic. And I, I'm, I'm really seeing my experience and your experiences coming together to kind of inform what we were just talking about because they come from very different perspectives, but they both are really cool. So, and that's why we're, that's why we're awesome. (laughs) That's where we're so cool and super humble. <laughs> and why we girl. make a good team. Yes, exactly. Also. I think that's 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 what we try to bring to the table and have conversations about all this kind of stuff. Um, kind of switching gears, if you don't mind, Castle. No, let's um, do it. Becky had a great... Yes. Um, Becky DePod, when her friend, uh, had a great tweet about not using the hashtag Laura or Hurricane Laura um, after the storm makes landfall because she was saying that People use that hashtag um, during recovery, immediately after the uh, storm passes to seek help, all that kind of stuff. Um, And I can say that that is quite true because of the work that I've done with uh, FEMA in the past of when I'm looking through social media relating to a hurricane, people do use those hashtags a lot to, to mention things like, I live here in this town and I don't have power or water or food, hashtag Laura, Hurricane Laura so on and so forth. And so using that information, we can kind of figure out what areas need resources and try to get those resources to those areas. So I appreciate that she put that together and and tweeted that out because I think a lot of, um, you know, the weather Twitter community, and we'll go into this in a second, kind of just gets a little um, hyped up about the storm, (laughs) what uh, kind of, you know, happened, did it, uh, you know, officialize in terms of the wind speed, the storm surge, did it verify? Um, and they bring up all these things that, yes, it's great to talk about and it's cool, but there's a time and place for it. And if you're using the hashtag, you're kind of blocking out, um, the ability for people to use it for things that they actually need, like the people who live in those areas that were affected, um, so on and so forth. I know when I was looking through yeah. stuff for Hurricane Michael and back in 2018 on social media for work, and I could see uh, a ton of weather stuff, and it's cool, but it doesn't really have a place in that in that moment that really benefits anybody except for a small community of people who are really geeking out about it. Not to say you shouldn't talk about it, but I think refraining from using that hashtag is a is a important piece that I think people need to be more aware of. No, and I think uh, a great example of this, and it's not something that I personally have thought about a lot, but I I know that you have, and I think it's important that we talk about it. But I I saw, um, I don't know if you remember when um, it was like the blackout 
Wednesday for Black Lives Matter on Instagram, where everyone like blacked out their profile picture mm-hmm. and support mm-hmm. um, and to share resources and educational and to educate people. Um, yeah. I remember that in particular because people were using like the hashtag Black Lives Matter um, in their kind of blackout photo, um, but it was clogging up the um, the hashtag for people that actually wanted to go out and learn more about Black Lives Matter and the movement. Um, so there was a lot of impact on people not being able to educate themselves effectively because people's just black screen profile just kept showing up as the results. Um, so I can see it's very similar here that if we continue to have these tweets that have no relevant information to kind of what's going on on the ground or how we're recovering, um, it's just going to kind of clog up the information source that people need in order to get the information that they need. Yeah. And kind of going off of what I alluded to, the whole, did it verified? Was it as bad as people thought? Was it overhyped? That is right. something that I am, I'm already having a very uh, interesting day. So seeing some of those uh, tweets, I was kind of like, I, I kind of lost soon. it a little it's bit. Like too soon. Well, A, yeah, it's too soon, but we, we do it after every, every storm. Um, yeah. And the weather community, like weather Twitter people do it and also like non-weather Twitter people do it. Um, so it's not just a weather, twi- weather Twitter issue, but I'm just like, are we really talking about this right now? There's so many points that I have against kind of already deciding whether or not it was overhyped or not. A, this just happened less than like 12, 15 yeah, hours it's ago. it's still happening. Chill. <laughs> yeah. B, like we're not going to have the latest information, the latest video footage um, the latest reports on anything, whether it's fatalities and injuries to power outage, like all those things, it takes time for that information to to come online for us to see. So when you're initially seeing like the video footage and you're like, oh, it doesn't look that bad. Well, the places that are really bad are probably not accessible at the moment. So you're not going to see stuff from that area, right? Like that's how it works. Yep. Um, people... I think at one point today, when I last checked, the death toll was was like three people. And they're like, oh, three people. Like, that wasn't catastrophic at all. It wasn't unsurvivable. Like, it wasn't that bad. And I'm like, again, this is preliminary. But also, why are we looking at the number of fatalities to indicate whether or not something was, oh, yep. it was just like two people who died. It wasn't that bad. Versus, oh, it was like 50 people. Like, it was kind of bad. Like, we're waiting for the next one, where there's even more people. Um I don't like the way we fixate on those kind of numbers because those aren't the ones that matter as much. Um, at the end of the day, yeah, like hopefully people took protective action and they left the area. They evacuated from those places that were hit really hard and that's hopefully why lives were saved. But that doesn't mean that the livelihoods are, are, are saved necessarily because they're going to come back and realize their homes are destroyed, their community is destroyed, all these things. And to simplistically quantify, oh, this wasn't that bad because of a like stats a and b is doing such a not injustice but it's just kind of it's uncalled for it and just no one needs that right now especially because you don't live there and you're just chilling chilling on your phone at your computer or whatever in your safe house and you're like oh i could just criticize anybody for anything because i'm safe and i'm cool but me having lived through a hurricane it is like when people like oh it wasn't that bad i'm like but did you live here did you see it and just because the news stops talking about it in a week, because I'm pretty sure they will, the lo- the national news anyway, people just think, oh, it, it's all good. 
But no, this stuff, recovery takes years for, for it to happen. And just because the news cameras go away and you don't hear about it on the news anymore doesn't mean people aren't still picking up the pieces. I really want to make sure people understand that. It's not just a, oh, I guess I don't see it anymore, so it's not happening out of sight, out of mind. Sure, you can think that, but I mean, I can guarantee you that's definitely not the case. So um, jump off my soapbox right there, but just kind of want to see what you thought. No, no, no. I totally agree with you. And it's hard when you need to measure something. And this goes back to like social science too. Like you have these concrete concepts that you want to measure, but sometimes at the end of the day, there's no like way to quantify it. Like there, there are ways to quantify, but not ways that like adequately capture what you want to quantify. Um, so sure, you can talk about number of deaths or how much damage was done to the buildings or the like the infrastructure in an area, but it doesn't even touch on like how people like the trauma that people are going to deal with for the rest of their life, um, kind of the economic specific toll to their family, like perhaps their family got separated. Like there are all these indicators of uh, ways that the hurricane did impact that we're not going to be able to measure as quote unquote impact just because they are so personal. They deal with people. Um, and I think that's really where social science can really shine, but I totally understand your, your soapbox <laughs> and you are more than welcome to stand on it. I will support, I will hold the, so the soapbox for you. Um, it's just, uh, it's just something it's, and it's, it's hard because like a side of me is also, mm -hmm being like their meteorologist that's their love that's like their passion um that's just what they it's just kind of the way they've been hardwired um so i kind of i understand that perspective but i also am i, I lean way more toward understanding that the the way that we measure impact is not adequate yeah you know and i think Let's wait a little bit, then we can talk about it. We can, you know, the hurricanes or the NOAA folks and weather service folks and hurricane center folks will do their damage assessments. We'll kind of take a look, you know, we can talk about it in like a week or so, kind of understand once we get the information. But I mean, dang, y'all have a lot of time to just sit there and just already point out certain things that you think are completely right or wrong based on just a couple of photos you saw on social media. I'm just saying. <laughs> I yeah, I understand your frustration, but also like I have to be cognizant of like this is kind of what we're doing also right mm -hmm. now. That's fair. Um, so we are. We are <laughs> I, I hate I myself. I mean, we're, we're we're. I mean, not not that know, we're doing it in the same way or the similar sure. way, but we are providing our content, our viewpoint, our perspective on the storm and what we've been seeing and the messaging that we've been seeing, and we've been criticizing individuals That's fair. during this podcast That's fair. too. That's very fair. Um, but there's a time and place for it also. Um, but at the same time, I, again, we're doing it now. So it's hard to, that's a, it's, we should just, <laughs> we can see the other perspective. That's what yeah, we, that's, that's the, right. the new phrase. Thanks for bringing me back down to reality. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> you're very welcome. Darn it. Castle and his rational self. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, don't be sorry at all. This is good. Um, is there any else, anything else you want to kind of talk about as we have a preliminary uh, opinions about Hurricane Laura? Preliminary opinions. Um, I think I've brought this up in a previous podcast when we talk about hurricanes, but I, for the most part, just follow hurricanes 
and the beginning stages. So that's when for me, all the messaging and stuff is my bread and butter. That's what I enjoy uh, kind of looking at and depicting and picking apart. Um, so once a storm actually hits, it's often hard for me to watch just because it's hard for me to watch the devastation and um, to see the impact to these communities. Uh, so I usually tend to not follow hurricanes once they've made landfall. Um, not that it's like something that we shouldn't do or talk about. Like I'm fine with that. It's just like, that's kind of how I personally view things. Uh, so yeah, I, I don't know if I have anything else to, to talk about given, uh, Laura and her landfall. I guess the one thing that I can bring up, and I learned this today, that Laura is, um, expected to become a tropical storm again once it gets back out into the Atlantic, um, which I thought was interesting. Yeah, yeah, I saw that. So, well, first of all, I saw headlines on Twitter saying, um, Hurricane Laura is now turning into a tropical storm as it, like, moves further inland i don't know that wording was weird to me but i wasn't gonna fight it uh, i mean it is technically i know but like turns into <laughs> i don't know i just i just wanted to pick everything right um but then i, I did see somebody because yeah. if the, if they would have said downgraded you like, would have had a similar <laughs> <laughs> yeah you can't please them in men it's just like a curmudgeon always angry and and like fist no. pointing at the sky Grr. you just want what's best for people yeah, and you can't hurt yourself for yeah that. um but yeah i did see that as it moves off the east coast it's you know maybe strengthening and stuff like that i don't know i'm assuming mm-hmm. it would be more like extra tropical at that point right and not necessarily i mean like an extra tropical storm can still be um like a subtropical storm with like winds of 40 45 whatever you know greater than tropical depression wind status but um yeah i don't know at that point it's like what's the point of having these different words yeah like why is extra tropical different than like tropical mm-hmm. um it's extra no uh <laughs> the it, it based on what i the the forecast cone that i saw this morning and of course that that's been well over 12 hours ago so i'm sure things have changed um but it did show like it being a tropical depression all the way through like maryland and stuff and then once it got back out onto the atlantic ocean it had a little s for storm so um, it'll just be interesting. I don't think it'll likely have any impact, but I just think it's always interesting how, um, the life cycle of hurricanes and how they can continue on and, uh, can live on. Yeah. For sure. I think they would rename it Laura. Um, they wouldn't change the name of it because it, you can easily tell it's from the same system. Yeah. So, and then hopefully it'll meander over towards, you know, the Atlantic coast and maybe our friends in England and Ireland will see some rain or wind from that. I don't know. Hope not. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, that's all my thoughts for today. I think, yeah, but I just want to also add in really quickly that, you know, our, our thoughts and prayers are with the people who were impacted. I think that is the most important part, even though we didn't really lead with that. I want to recognize how important that is to understand that these people have really been impacted. So once the calls come out for donations to help people, um, I think people should seriously consider helping if they are able to, um, because this is not great for uh, the people of Louisiana and Texas and whoever else was affected. And also during times of COVID, you know, this is um, adding insult to injury, unfortunately. And we will, yeah, we'll see what else 2020 will bring, but let's hope for better things. 
Agreed, especially considering, I mean, hurricane season is July to November, mm-hmm. is that right? Or June, June yeah, to November. Yeah, so we're kind of, June to November. Um, so we're kind of nearing the end, but still kind of in the middle of it. So we I don't mean, know honestly, the peak, come, the peak so. of hurricane season doesn't happen until uh, mid-September. Yeah, September. so we're not even at that peak yet. I think that's why Yikes. it's concerning. And if we're looking back at record hurricane seasons, I think the one that had the um greek alphabet alpha beta gamma that was back in 2004 i think or 2005 and that's the kind of season that we could be expecting and those storms back in that time formed even in like december and january i remember so as long as waters are warm and the conditions are favorable for storm development you know we're only in august we have plenty of time for more storms to come unfortunately but positive vibes into the universe please that's all we can do. Yes. And limit our greenhouse gas emissions. <laughs> Which I, I think we're, a lot of us are already doing because we're COVID bound. That's, that's fair. Okay. So, so doing, our, doing our part the best we can. That's right. On that note, um, we'll wrap it up uh, with our little outro, yeah? <laughs> Sounds good. Take it away. Cool. Um, you can find us in a variety of places, including facebook.com slash weatherhype and weatherhypepodcast.com you can also send us an email at weatherhype at gmail.com or find us on twitter at weatherhype both words weather and hype uh we know we haven't really done a podcast episode in quite a while but Cass and i are hoping to jump into a new project where we uh have mentioned it before and we'll mention it more later but just kind of be on the lookout for a series of episodes really dedicated to exploring the social sciences and many of them and how they relate to meteorology and talking with uh, up-and-coming researchers students and things like that and connecting them with um, experts in the field and truly trying to i guess you know build on the next generation as we call it yes and if you are a student or early career professional that this kind of sounds like interesting and up your alley feel free to give us shoot us an email at weatherhype at gmail.com and we'll see about potentially involving you sounds good uh i guess so until next time until next time stay hyped stay hyped hyped.